tonight. And Habakkuk, it, it's a very small book uh, inside of our Bible. It's one of the uh, minor prophets uh, in the Bible. And uh, that word minor doesn't necessarily mean that it's unimportant. It's just uh, that God uh, gave to Habakkuk a smaller portion of Scripture to pen. And so uh, if you were to sit down and read this book, you would take, you would take about six minutes uh, or so to read through the entire book of Habakkuk, very small book. Uh, but it deals with a subject uh, that is very important and a lot of people struggle with uh, today. Uh, and that question is, why does God allow evil and suffering to exist in the world. Um, it also helps us to understand how we should respond to it. And so uh, the name Habakkuk, it's, uh, it means to embrace. It's uh, the idea of giving a child a hug uh, to comfort them. And uh, I believe as we look at the book of Habakkuk tonight, uh, God will show us uh, how he used uh, Habakkuk to do that very thing. Uh, God wants us to be comforted despite the fact uh, that there's evil in our world. And as you read this short book of Habakkuk, uh, you'll begin to see that it's a, it's a dialogue uh, between Habakkuk and God. Uh, it's, it's a book uh, that's, uh, the entire book is just a dialogue between God and Habakkuk. Uh, it's, uh, it's no other book ex, uh, is like that in scripture uh, that we see. And so uh, being a prophet of God, we see that Habakkuk, he understood some things that uh, he's understood some things about God. He, uh, but there were some things that he couldn't understand how the God that he believed uh, would allow, uh, why, he, why the God he believed would allow the suffering that he saw around him. Uh, have you ever been working on solving a problem and you've been completely stumped? You have no idea uh, how to solve the problem. You, you walk away from it. You, you go to sleep. You sleep on it. Uh, and you come back the next, next time you go to work on it and you come back with a fresh perspective on it. And uh, when I was in grade 12, I was working on building uh, my first pulpit. I began woodworking in uh, middle of grade 12. And I was beginning to build my first pulpit. And with be being new and under not understanding a lot of things about how to put together uh, wooden joinery and everything, I was confused about how to do some joinery. And I had uh, one connection I had to make was a, a post that connected to a lectern top and it was an angled joint and I had to figure out how in the world am I going to join this angled surface to this flat surface and I'm, I don't have the engineer that Ahmad, engineer brain that Ahmad has and so I was trying to think about it and I just couldn't get it and then it took me quite a while just to kind of realize it was simple as drill a 90 degree hole in one side and drill a 90 degree hole on the other side and then stick a dowel in and it will join and uh, it's such a simple solution but it just took me to step away from it uh, for a little bit to have a fresh perspective on it. And see, Habakkuk's problem uh, wasn't so simple that he could just step away. Uh, his struggle with how can there be a good and righteous God, a holy God, loving God, and also there be evil in the world. Uh, what he needed was a fuller perspective, uh, which is what God revealed to him throughout this book. And so we need a fuller perspective uh, to understand this problem of evil. And so in Habakkuk's day, it was a dark time in Israel's history. Israel was facing, uh, leading up into the time of captivity uh, by the Babylonians. Uh, it was a difficult time for Israel, and uh, every single day it was getting worse and worse, and things seemed to get darker and darker. It sounds a lot like uh, the days that we're living in now. Uh, and so Habakkuk, he yearned for a revival. He, he hoped to see... Uh, his nation uh, have revival. Uh, he had seen it before. He had seen uh, revival in the days of King Josiah. He had seen uh, revival, but down those days were history. They were behind him. Uh, things had reverted back uh, to evil and wickedness. And so from Habakkuk's viewpoint, all he could see uh, in the future was wickedness, evil, suffering. And so when we look ahead at the possible future, uh, that we might live in here in Canada, are we willing to trust God uh, when we don't see the entire picture, when we don't have a, quite the understanding that we need? Uh, what we learn from the book of Habakkuk is uh, highly applicable in our day. And so let's examine some of the questions that Habakkuk uh, proposed to God and see what God had to say about it. Uh, first, we see the problem of evil, the problem in your notes, the problem of evil, Habakkuk 
chapter 1 and verse 1, the burden which Habakkuk, Habakkuk the prophet did see. Uh, when the Old, Testament's prophet, uh, Old Testament prophets, they spoke uh, of uh, receiving a burden, uh, it often meant receiving a divine vision from God. And so uh, 150 years earlier, we see the prophet Isaiah experiencing a similar uh, thing, a divine vision from God. Uh, Isaiah saw, uh, says in ver chapter 6, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, also, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And we see Habakkuk's vision, on the other hand, was not of a grand divine assembly of seeing God uh, in, in, on his throne, but rather uh, he looked around and saw all the uh, evil and the ugliness of it. And so we see first letter A, Habakkuk's questions. So as in Habakkuk's day, uh, it doesn't take long for us to realize that there's a world full of evil and wrongdoing. As we look around and see uh, just next door, next, just down the block, we see uh, people doing wrong, acts of violence and acts of hate, uh, crimes against innocent people and children, uh, na natural disasters we heard of uh, recently. In the last couple weeks, uh, we've heard of an earthquake that struck Turkey and Syria, and currently uh, the death counts over 41,000 people. Uh, over 120,000 people have been injured. Uh, we, we've been hearing about the war in Ukraine, uh, the invasion uh, of Ukraine by Russia, and that's uh, reported to have affected and killed 13,000 people. Uh, hundreds and hundreds have died in Iran uh, due to the protests. And, uh, and, so, and then we also see here in Canada at least 12 people were injured uh, at an explosion at a construction site in Ottawa. Uh, and in Michigan, uh, at a state university, there was three killed and five others were injured in a mass shooting. Uh, thousands of people have been left without power in New Zealand because of a hurricane, a cyclone. Uh, and just a couple weeks ago, a freight train derailed, causing an explosion uh, and uh, some chemicals in the air, and so the surrounding areas have to be evacuated, and people are sick. And we think uh, when we come face to face with the suffering and the evil in our world, just in the past two weeks, those, uh, those re recent events, uh, a question comes to mind, and we... Uh, often struggle with is how can a good, a loving, all-powerful God uh, be okay with this? How can God uh, be f just okay just seeing all this happen? And to be honest, it's a difficult question. How can we reconcile this? Uh, you and I aren't the first people who have ever wrestled with this. We see uh, in 350 BC, uh, the philosopher Epicurus, uh, he proposed the question this way, is God willing to prevent evil but not able, uh, then he is not powerful. Is he able but not willing, then he is not good. Is he both able and willing, uh, then whence come the evil? Uh, is he neither able nor willing, then why call him God? You see, the question of, of how suffering uh, and evil can be reconciled with God, uh, God's justice and love has probed, uh, has been a problem for many uh, skeptics. We see John Scott say it, he says, I uh, see this in your notes, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. Its distribution and degree appear, appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. Although it's not only skeptics that struggle with this question, uh, we see many Christians struggle with and don't understand how a loving God, uh, they know uh, why, why a loving God would allow suffering to go on in the world. And uh, we see a, a poll asked, it might be in your notes there, uh, a poll was asked of people, uh, if you could ask God one question and, know, and you would know the answer, know that he would give you the answer, uh, what would you ask him? And the most common response to that question, why is there pain and suffering in the world? We see in the opening verses of Habakkuk, the prophet is grappling with this age-old dilemma as he attempts to uh, reconcile what he knows about God and knows about the nature and character of God uh, with the evil that he sees all around him every day. Uh, one encouraging takeaway that we see from this is God chose to include uh, this book in the Bible. Uh, this God, uh, we see that God is patient and long-suffering to those who ask this question. Uh, God is not going to strike you down if you ask this question, why, are, why is there suffering? God is uh, patient and long-suffering to those who are struggling with this question, why is there suffering and hurt? 
Uh, we see he was patient with Job. He was patient with Habakkuk, and he's also patient with us. And so as difficult as this problem is of evil, uh, let's take our questions to God rather than insisting that there can't be any answers. And so Habakkuk 1, verse 2, we see the prophet brought up uh, a phrase that echoes throughout the Bible. He said, How long, uh, O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear. Even cry unto thee, cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Habakkuk, he felt like he knew uh, that it, he would do uh, what he would do about all the uh, suffering, all the evil around him. Uh, he, uh, if he had a chance to take care of it, he knew exactly what he would do, but he couldn't understand uh, why uh, all the suffering around him uh, was happening. If God wasn't, why God wasn't immediately uh, answering and stepping in and uh, providing justice. And so this cry of how long uh, is repeated throughout Scripture, and we see, especially in the Psalms and the Prophets, and God uh, is so patient with us. Uh, God is so patient with us, but we are so often so impatient with Him on the sins of others. We look at others and say, how can God not judge them right away and deal with their sin uh, when we when we forget that God has been so patient with us. Uh, when we spot an injustice or when uh, we've been wrong, we want God to address it right away. And we see Jonah, uh, he's an example of a believer who was frustrated with the fact uh, that uh, there's a lack of judgment, it seemed, on God's part uh, of those causing evil in Nineveh. Uh, even after Jonah had preached God's word to the people of Nineveh, uh, telling them to turn, to repent, uh, and turn to the Lord. Uh, he was upset uh, that the fear and the pain that these Ninevites had uh, afflicted on the people, on his people, uh, was not being dealt with. God wasn't uh, bringing judgment to them. And so Jonah's desire uh, was for God to pour out his wrath uh, on the injustice uh, that the Ninevites had caused. And so, in all honesty, uh, we, we ourselves, we, we often deserve, we deserve the, the, the judgment uh, that we think others deserve. Uh, when we think of the problem of evil, uh, when we think of uh, that, we often think about the evil that's around us, but we never think about the evil that inhabits us. Uh, we see in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, so many people say, well, just trust your heart, trust your heart. But God gives us an opposite perspective of that. Don't trust your heart. Your heart is uh, deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so letter B, we see Habakkuk's hopelessness. Habakkuk's hopelessness. We see Habakkuk, he not only wondered how long, and he followed up with, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear. Uh, this is a strong accusation that Habakkuk's making, he's basically saying to God, God, you're not listening to my pain. And Habakkuk, he wasn't the first or the last person to do this. We see in Psalm chapter 13, I believe David said, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? And we see the irony of Habakkuk's accusation of God not listening is that uh, the Habakkuk the book of Habakkuk is the only book in the Bible that is entirely dialogue. Uh, the only book in the Bible that God is talking with Habakkuk, listening to him, hearing his pain, hearing his suffering. Uh, and the whole book is just dialogue. Uh, even as Habakkuk was pouring out his heart to God, uh, God was listening. And God's listening to you today. If you have suffering and pain that you're going through, God is listening. Uh, he's uh, willing to, to lend an ear and, and hear your pain. And as he was recording the conversation uh, that he had with Habakkuk, uh, he recorded it for us to read today. And uh, So what Habakkuk didn't understand is that God's silence isn't ev evidence of his absence. God's silence isn't evidence of his absence. Uh, consider with me the children of Israel when they were suffering in bondage in Egypt. In Exodus, Exodus chapter 2. And verse number 23, and it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. 
In the middle of their pain and their bondage, uh, the Israelites were tempted to believe that God did not uh, see and was not listening to, uh, to their pain, to them. And yet nothing could have been further uh, from the truth. We see in Exodus chapter 3, uh, just a few verses later, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Uh, you've never faced a trial that God hasn't already seen, that God hasn't already heard and known about. Uh, there, are, there are three things, I believe, that Habakkuk saw that burdened him. Uh, he, he saw violence around him, uh, he saw injustice, and he saw evil. We see in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 3, Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that rise up strife, and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. And these uh, three aspects of sin, violence, and injustice are uh, an evil. They're uh, familiar to us as well. Uh, there's two types of evil uh, that we see in our world today. We see natural evil and moral evil. Uh, natural evil includes hurricanes, uh, earthquakes, uh, fires, other natural disasters, uh, sicknesses, disease. We know that very well in the last few years. Uh, we've seen uh, other uh, catastrophic occurrences that cause pain uh, and loss. Uh, and they're not a direct cause of uh, someone's personal choice to sin. Uh, these are all defined as natural evil. But then we also see moral evil. Uh, this includes uh, rape, murder, slander, theft, and any other sin that proceeds out of the heart of man. We see in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. You see, that's why it's so important to guard what you let into your heart. Because out of your heart is what uh, all these things proceed from. Uh, the things that you let into your mind, those things are the things that uh, get into your heart. Those things come out of your mouth. Uh, the Bible says that's what defiles a man. And we see both natural evil and moral evil uh, may leave many innocent victims in their wake. Uh, but before we go and blame God for either type of evil, it's important to recognize that no uh, other worldview outside of Christianity can even uh, escape this problem as well. Uh, there's not, this problem is not specific to just Christian faith. It's a problem for everyone. How can you reconcile there being evil in the world? We see atheism, agnosticism, uh, deism, dualism, uh, spiritual idealism. These all uh, different belief systems. Uh, for all of the accusations that they make against the Christian faith of God, the Christian view of God in the midst of suffering, uh, they don't have a good explanation for evil either. Uh, no matter what you believe, evil is a universal and inescapable part of the human experiences, uh, ex the human experience, and there's no uh, easy way uh, to answer it. But we look at number two in your notes. Uh, we see the sovereignty of God. Uh, the sovereignty of God. Uh, you cannot address this problem of evil uh, from a Christian worldview without acknowledging God and uh, who he is. Uh, we tend to ask, uh, what does my problem say about God? What does my problem say about God? But a better question is, uh, what does my God say about my problem? In Psalm uh, chapter 103, we see in verse 19, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. You see that God's not surprised by sin uh, and its effects. God's not surprised uh, on, about that. Uh, in fact, God prepared in advance for that. Uh, God knew that uh, his preparation involved suffering uh, to, to deliver us from it. In Acts chapter 2, we see in verse 23, him uh, being delivered, that is Christ, by the determinate counsel uh, and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And we see in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, the, la the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 
This is how much God loves us. That he knew that even though he made a perfect creation, uh, that we would sin, uh, that we would choose to disobey him. Uh, God knew that in advance and made provision for us, provided for us uh, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, even though he knew that from the beginning, uh, his son uh, would be rejected uh, and despised, uh, he still loved us enough not only to send his son, but to carry out his plan of sacrifice. And so when we question God's goodness and we ask, why didn't he foresee all of this suffering? Uh, why didn't he uh, look at and understand that there's all, these, all of this suffering and pain in the world? Uh, it shouldn't, uh, it, it's not a surprise to God. It, uh, we see God, uh, we must remember that God uh, did see it. He did foresee it. Uh, and he sacrificed his son because of it. And evil and suffering, it didn't come as a su surprise to God, and we shouldn't be a, su a surprise for us either. Uh, Jesus warned us that we will still suffer, uh, but we can experience his peace uh, through it. You see in John chapter 16, uh, verse number 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Uh, it's curious that the question uh, that so often comes uh, to us in our suffering is, why? Why, God? Why is this happening? Uh, as if we think that if we knew the answer, if we knew the reason for our suffering, if we knew the reason for our pain, uh, that somehow that would make it more bearable. Uh, just as we think about this mass shooting in, uh, in Michigan at the university, uh, as when there ever is a mass sh shooting, we... Uh, the immediate question that comes to mind is why? Why would someone do this? Why would someone, uh, what was their motive? And it's as if, as if we think that if we know the motive, it's going to make everything better. It doesn't make much of a difference if we know why uh, suffering uh, exists. Uh, but even uh, when we learn or guess a probable motive, it never eases the resulting pain. And so in reality, there are some aspects of life uh, that will never have the capacity or the perspective to unravel. Uh, there's going to be some things in our life that we just have to trust God. To God, you know what's happening. Uh, you can see the full picture, and I can't. Uh, we can trust God that he has a higher viewpoint, and he has wiser purposes. In Isaiah chapter 55, we see God explain this uh, very idea to Isaiah. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Uh, what it does mean uh, is that God's thoughts, uh, what does it mean uh, that God's thoughts are uh, higher and his ways are higher than ours? And we see letter A, the providence of God. Uh, sometimes when we talk about God's sovereignty uh, and we talk about his providence, the word, uh, we see the word providence, it comes from a Latin word, uh, providere. Uh, if you break that word up into its uh, suffix or his prefix and its root, uh, we see the word pro and videre. And we see that word pro, it means ahead, looking ahead. Uh, and videre means to see. And so uh, that word, uh, videre, is also another word we get video from. Uh, literally, that word, pro videre, uh, means to see beforehand, uh, prior seeing or foresight. Uh, but God's providence is even more than this. It's more than just this definition. It's uh, more than just simple foresight. Uh, in fact, uh, the closest word that we have in English uh, for that word is provision. Uh, the idea is to see ahead, resulting in providing for what will come. And so God's providence is a combination of his sovereignty, uh, his rule, his ability to control what is his, and his foreknowledge, his uh, providence. Uh, we could say that God not only sees ahead how everything will fit together, uh, but he specifically plans for it all to fit together. And so it was in this providence that God drew Habakkuk's uh, attention uh, to uh, answer the, the charges that Habakkuk had against God. We see in verse 5 of Habakkuk chapter 1, Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. You see, God responded to all of Habakkuk's questions. Uh, he responded to the doubts that he had by telling him uh, that 
he was about to work a work. He was about to do something that was way beyond what Habakkuk could understand and believe. Uh, God told him, even if God had told him beforehand, here's what I'm going to do, Habakkuk, Habakkuk wouldn't be able to understand. And we see, what are the works of God? Uh, They are the result of God exercising his sovereignty. And in Psalm chapter 111, we see in verse 2 and 3, the works of the Lord are great. Sado of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious. Uh, The reference here uh, is to God's first recorded work in Scripture, his work of creation. Uh, We see, uh, you look at the slide there, uh, if you visit uh, the Cavendish uh, Cavendish Physics Laboratory in Cambridge, England, uh, you'll find this Latin sentence inscribed above uh, the door. It says, Magna opera domini exquisita, in omnis voluntates ejus. It's the Latin translation of Psalm 111, verse 2. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. God's amazing work in creation is not only uh, the foundation for understanding science, but it's also uh, the foundation for understanding his other works in our lives. And so God's work in creation helps us to give context for suffering. The Bible tells us uh, in the beginning that God's original design was very good. In Genesis chapter 131. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And sin did not originate with God. Uh, Its consequences were not his original plan. Uh, But God does allow personal choice. He allows everyone here the personal choice, whether or not to choose him or choose not to serve him and uh, obey him. We see Randy Elkhorn said, God is not the author of evil, neither, however, is he the victim of evil. We see evil, it entered the universe uh, through Satan. Uh, Satan uh, decided to, uh, well, that that word Satan is kind of misleading to say it was Satan. Uh, Rather, uh, God did not create Satan, but rather he created Lucifer. Uh, Lucifer, he was a beautiful being. Uh, He lived in heaven. It seemed to be that he led the music in heaven. Uh, and so we see the prophet uh, Ezekiel uh, describes uh, what a perfect being Lucifer was. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 28, thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day thou wast created till iniquity is found in thee. And we see when Re- Lucifer rebelled against God, his created state, his perfect state, his very good state was lost. Uh, when he made that choice to disobey God uh, and try to become God himself, uh, he was cast from heaven. Uh, he took one-third of uh, all the angels with him, and he became uh, Satan. And it, it's Satan who tempted Adam and Eve with sin. In Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent was more subtle uh, than any beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And so when Satan brought the temptation of evil into the perfect Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they fell prey to lustful desires, and their act of disobedience to God brought sin into the world, and it corrupted the world uh, that God had made perfectly. We see as in Romans chapter 5, Wherefore, as one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so God's original design was very good. But Adam... Uh, mankind's original representative, his, the representative of mankind, uh, had sinned against God. And so why did God even allow for this possibility of sin? If God knew that that might happen, why did God allow that? that that's a difficult question to answer. Uh, because he wanted and he granted mankind free will. And it's so simple. Uh, this, this, I've heard many people say this, and so often we can just push it aside and say, oh, but so what? God didn't create sin, or God didn't uh, allow. Uh, God allowed the possibility of sin uh, because we had free will. Uh, God allowed that uh, because He wanted us to have the freedom to choose Him. Uh, God wanted us to uh, not just be robots, not have uh, just uh, obey completely, perfectly. But God wanted us to have a relationship with Him. Uh, God didn't want us uh, to just do whatever he wanted and 
whatever, he wanted us to have the choice whether or not we wanted to serve him. Uh, there would be no love if God had designed us that way. And so, in fact, if we looked back uh, to the reality uh, that no system of belief can uh, fully explain the presence of evil, uh, it's worth noting that no system of belief uh, apart from God can fully explain the presence of good. Uh, for, for while we live in a world full of evil, uh, we also live in a world, uh, even in its fallen condition, with good. There's many good things. We praise the Lord for some things tonight. Uh, there are still good. There's still good in this world. And the virtues we admire most uh, are not possible without the existence of God. And so why does a good God allow evil? We may never fully uh, be able to understand on this side of eternity. Uh, but we do, know, we do know that a better day is coming. Uh, we see in Romans 8, uh, it tells us that everything in creation it groans for God's restored good creation. It says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. And uh, many of us, as we get older, we start to feel that. We want the redemption of our body. We're starting to have pains that we didn't have when we were younger. Uh, so we see that in our, in our world today, we are looking, we're groaning for uh, that renewal of God's creation. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 6, we see him say, uh, it says, For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess their, the dwelling places that are not theirs. So in other words, God told Habakkuk, you're right. Israel shouldn't get away with all the violence, shouldn't get away, uh, away with all the injustice and all the evil. And so what I'm going to do is raise up the Babylonians uh, to take God's people uh, captive. Uh, they're, the Babylonians, they're terrible, they're dreadful, uh, they're very violent. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send them uh, so that you'll be in captivity. And so now Habakkuk, he's really confused. He's thinking uh, his initial complaint was how that God was letting uh, people get away with doing evil. And now he hears that God is going to use a godless society, the Babylonians, to execute his judgment. And so then we see Habakkuk, uh, he protests again in verse 13, Thou art of pure eyes, then to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and beholdest thy tongue, and holdest thy tongue, when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. Habakkuk, he didn't understand how God, who is holy and pure, could use evil for his purposes. Uh, the truth is that God, in his sovereignty, uh, in his amazing sovereignty, uh, could even use evil uh, to bring about good. Think about Joseph. Think about in, in his life how he was hated, he was envied, he was mocked, he was beaten. Uh, he was imprisoned uh, falsely. Uh, he was forgotten in prison. But yet God revealed that there was a greater plan, a greater purpose in his life uh, for all of this evil in his life uh, that he had to endure. We see Joseph understood this at the end of his life in Genesis 50. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So have you ever thought, uh, been in the middle of suffering and thought, I just can't see the good in this? Uh, just because you or I can't uh, see a reason doesn't mean the reason doesn't exist. I think back at the point of uh, my life when I, just after I'd gotten saved, my dad passed away. And I, at that point, new Christian. I didn't hardly been saved for a year at that point. And I'm thinking, uh, I, I just don't see why God would allow this to happen. I don't see why my father would be taken away. But now looking back, I can see all the stepping stones that God put in place. I can see because of that, I had to move to another place. I had to move out of my mother's house and move in with a foster family. And because of that, I was able to go to Bible college. And because of that, I was able to meet my wife. And because of that, I was 
connected with uh, my father-in-law no, no new Pastor Rice. And so that led me here. Each step of the way, if I, if I at that moment said, God, I don't understand what you're doing and I don't believe. I'm, I'm just going to leave. All of that wonderful stuff that God had ahead for me, my wonderful wife, getting to serve here, all of that would be gone. And so even though right now you're looking and you see suffering and difficulty in your life and pain, remember that God is doing something incredible. He's going to work a work. Romans chapter 8, a very uh, popular verse, very common verse that many of us know, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Sometimes in our pain we think the thought that Habakkuk thought, why doesn't God care? Why doesn't he do something about the evil? But the truth is that God does care. God does uh, want to do something. And so we see there's two responses that God has to our suffering. We see, number one, he executes judgment. Uh, we see in this passage, God was telling Habakkuk that he was going to do something. He was going to execute judgment. And we see uh, Psalm 149, to execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all his saints. Praise you, the Lord. What Habakkuk wanted, however, was what we want for, for God to execute judgment now, for God to uh, send immediate justice. And so there's times in which God, uh, when God allows evil and wickedness to continue, seemingly unchecked for, uh, because of his patience and his long-suffering. Uh, but there will be a time when God uh, calls all men to repentance. Acts chapter 17, we see this very thought, in the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. We see in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, God assures his prophet that he does see the evil and he will judge it. Uh, he specifically mentions drunkenness in verse 15 and idolatry in verse 18. And no evil will be ever committed without God being aware of it. Uh, be sure your sins will find you out, uh, we see in the Old Testament. No evil will ever be unaccounted for by God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So we can always uh, trust God that he will execute judgment against sin against evil, and it may not be on our timetable, uh, but it will happen. And we see God does not something more than just executing judgment. Uh, he also enters our brokenness. Uh, the whole theme of Scripture is redemption. And so in the story, it's the story of God creating a perfect world, sin corrupting it, and then Jesus, God in the flesh, entering our shattered world to restore it and most of all, restore us to a relationship with him. And so Jesus, he, he understands our suffering. He was uh, touched uh, with the feeling of our infirmities, as we see in Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, and he was tempted in all points, uh, tempted, uh, in all points, tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. And Jesus, he came and he took the form of a servant, uh, and he was made in uh, the likeness of men and, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so we see, uh, this, is, this is the truth you don't want to miss, that God, uh, God's answer to evil is the cross. God's answer to all the suffering in our world is the cross. People ask, why do bad things happen to good people? But the truth is it only happened one time. And that person volunteered. Why do bad things happen? We may not know fully why bad things happen, uh, and we, uh, but we do know why not. It's not because God uh, doesn't love us. It's not because God doesn't uh, choose to come to us and suffer with us and suffer for us. We see that evident on the cross of, cross of Calvary. God chose to suffer in our place. And so most importantly tonight, we see number three, the hope of redemption. The hope of redemption is what, uh, what, have, uh, what had Habakkuk, uh, what gave Habakkuk the courage uh, to keep going and to keep trusting God. Uh, the, 
even despite all of the surroundings that he had, all of the pain, the suffering, the difficulty that he had in his life, uh, he could keep going. We will all experience difficulty. We will all experience pain in our lives. But as Christians, uh, we never experience difficulty without hope. We all uh, can have hope. The hope of redemption is ours because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It provided us, uh, letter A, forgiveness of sins. As Christians, our great hope lies in the redemption for sin that we've received through Christ. Uh, it says in Colossians chapter 1, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You see, the greatest tragedy that ever occurred was the death of Jesus on the cross. That greatest tragedy in history became the greatest triumph when Jesus rose from the dead and gave uh, offering forgiveness to all who depend on him alone for salvation. Uh, in Galatians chapter 3, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. But it doesn't stop with forgiveness of sins. We also see that there's going to be a day when the curse of sin will be rolled back. Things will be restored. We see, letter B, the renewal of the earth. Renewal of the earth. God gave Habakkuk a picture of uh, the beautiful future uh, that eventually awaited him. Uh, the same future awaits for all who believe on Christ for salvation. Hab Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. For the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee in the spoil of beasts, which made them afraid because of men's blood. And for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. This answer from God uh, to Habakkuk's question it refers back to a prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, it's a description of the millennium, the 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth. In Isaiah chapter 11, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Uh, verse 9, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So what Habakkuk was seeing before him was not uh, going to be the end of the story. The world's not just going to end with pain and suffering. God is going to restore the world to its original state, uh, to a perfect state. Uh, the pain and suffering uh, would be ended and the, when the knowledge uh, of the glory of the Lord would take its place. And so how is this going to be accomplished? God, he gives us uh, in the New Testament a fuller picture uh, in the final book of the Bible, we see in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Verse 4, And the God shall wipe away all their tears, all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Someday the curse of sin will be fully reversed, and God will restore the earth and mankind to the original perfect state that he had created. All the destruction, all the suffering, all of the pain that uh, we face in this world are not the end of the story. And so to cl conclude tonight, uh, at the beginning of the book, we see Habakkuk, he starts by asking God uh, this question, how long will I cry? But at the end of the book, we see he's come full circle, and he now he's asking, uh, even though he can't understand God's judgment or fully understand God's purposes, he says, but I will rejoice. At the end of Habakkuk, in verse uh, 17 of chapter 3, we see him write, uh, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet. 
and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. Uh, he writes to the chief singer upon my string instruments. We see Habakkuk, he began the book by accusing God of idly standing by, not saving, not executing judgment. Uh, but he ends the book by claiming that God is his salvation. Uh, we see, uh, we have to ask, what changed in Habakkuk's life? That his perspective changed. And so often when we look at the problem of evil, we become obsessed with trying to understand it and why it happens. Uh, we come uh, focused so much on why in the world would this happen? But when we understand God's sovereignty, that he is going to execute judgment, that's an absolute, he is going to execute judgment, and that he, uh, until that point, uh, he will enter our brokenness, uh, our question begins to change. Once we understand those things, now we ask, how should I respond? Because of that, if God is sovereign, and God is entering my brokenness, how should I respond? What should we do in response to all the evil in the world? Uh, we have five things on the screen here, five responses that we learn from the book of Habakkuk. Number one, we should live by faith. Uh, we must trust God and live by faith. Habakkuk 2, verse 4, the just shall live by his faith. Our response in all of this should be to trust God, uh, to trust the intricacies of his plan, uh, even when we don't fully understand them. Uh, it's essentially what God, ha uh, what Job said in the middle of his suffering. Job said in ch chapter 13 of uh, Job, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. We must acknowledge that our understanding of God is his, of our understanding of his plan is limited. And so our response must simply uh, be to live by faith. But then we see uh, number two is to pray for revival. Habakkuk knew that while God alone was capable of reversing all the evil that was occurring around him, uh, it required his people to turn back to him. His prayer was not for revival, uh, or his, his prayer was for revival not only for the uh, nation that he lived in, but also for himself. In chapter 3 of Habakkuk, we read, O Lord, I have heard thy speech, and I was afraid. O Lord, revive the work, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. Throughout this short three-chapter book, uh, we see God answers Habakkuk's question, uh, ask, answers his prayer as he works in Habakkuk's heart. The final chapter of the book is Habakkuk's prayer written as a song for the nation of Israel. And so uh, the answer to Habakkuk's prayer for revival started in Habakkuk's own heart. And today we continue to be blessed by the song that came from his desire for revival. Number three, we see rejoice in salvation. Uh, we can have joy in salvation regardless of our circumstances, no matter what's happening in your life. Uh, when my dad passed away, I could still have joy because I knew that my God was in control. And at the end of the book, we see that Habakkuk declares that his joy is found solely in God. Even if none of the evil uh, got better, even if it got worse, Habakkuk learned that he could always find joy in the midst uh, of trouble uh, because of the God of his salvation. Habakkuk chapter 3, Although the fig tree shall not blossom... Neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock, of, uh, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Then four, we see rely on his strength. Verse 19, it continues, The Lord God is my strength. In the midst of the greatest difficulties of life, God's strength will be sufficient uh, through sickness, through pandemics, through cancer, through family difficulties. We have access to divine help. Uh, in fact, we have this promise from Christ uh, that he himself said that his uh, strength will be made perfect in our weakness. He said this to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, 
for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And last number five, continue with confidence. At the end of this book leaves us with a beautiful picture uh, to illustrate the confidence that is found in Christ. In verse 19, we see the Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Uh, the picture given to us is of a sure-footed deer uh, who has the ability to walk easily without even looking down. I remember a few months ago, I was walking down the back steps there, and I was not looking down as I was going down the steps, and I thought there was uh, no more steps, and there was one more step. And uh, when that happened, I uh, kind of rolled my ankle a little bit. I was a little, a little bit of pain for the next day. But we see this picture is kind of the opposite. It's of a sure-footed deer who has the ability to walk easily uh, without looking down at the path. Uh, this is the same confidence that we as believers have uh, when we put our trust uh, in the Lord and our strength is in the Lord. And so because of Scripture, we can live in confidence knowing that our Savior has secured the final victory. Uh, all the moments of the distress and sorrow that we see in our world today, they will be made new by Him. And so when we don't see the full picture and we don't understand what God is doing and what's going on in all this pain and suffering, uh, we can confidently trust in the Lord. He is the answer to our suffering. Let's pray. Amen. Father, I thank you uh, for this book of Habakkuk, Lord. I, I, there's so much pain and suffering that we see in our world today, and I would, I would hate to be not a Christian that has no hope, that has no assurance that you are in control, I uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, despite all of the, the pain and the suffering in the world that we see today, uh, that you have a plan to renew it, to, re to bring justice, to bring judgment, and to be in our brokenness, Lord. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to trust you, to have faith in you, uh, to uh, continue with confidence knowing that uh, you will take care of uh, the, the little things, the, the suffering, the pain, uh, the big things in our life. I pray you would help us, Lord, to trust you. Lord, and thank you for this time uh, and this truth from your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.